Today on Investing in Impact, I have Shein Tang. Uh, Shein, we've known each other a long time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Raph. I'm really excited to, to be here and share a little bit of my story. So where did it all start for you? How did you get into this? Like, can you take us back to um, your early days your, uh, of your um, growing up and career, etc.? Like, where did you start and, and, and how did you get into impact? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm lucky enough to have grown up in the beautiful city of Sydney, Australia. Um, and I guess I would say I've always been interested in impact right? I think maybe what impact meant to me or, you know, or, or how I thought about it has definitely changed, right? But I think this idea of you know, having a positive impact in, in the world, and I think particularly um, in maybe a more in, in emerging markets, right, outside of Australia as well, I think those are some things that have always really resonated with me um, since, yeah, since since I was little. Um, actually, I have to share, I mean, my, my dream, I think ever since I was maybe a teenager was to, um, to go and work at the UN, um, I, I guess maybe in, in terms of how I saw impact or what um, making a meaningful difference in the world meant. I think that that was kind of what I knew. Um, I certainly didn't know about impact investing or blended finance or any anything like that at that time. Um, so that was that was my dream, and that was actually what this or what motivated me to study international development and international relations at university. So so that's 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 what I did. I was also in, in Canberra, so I guess the the hotbed of Australian um, oh, yeah. politics and international affairs. Um, so I went to the Indeed. ANU. Um, very yeah, and I think was. You know, luckily, like lucky enough to be surrounded by people who shared um, those those kind of passions and interests, and you know, I think yeah, I think all through university, I, I still kind of had this idea or kind of vision of working for a large international organization or maybe joining the foreign service. Well, I I didn't do that as as, as you know, so I guess what <laughs> well, you, you teased it, but you teased with it based on uh, just from uh, understanding your uh, LinkedIn profile because it, it, it seems <laughs> yeah, like all my internships and, and yeah, and, exactly. So yeah. as I said, I was really set on this path but um i think like so many best laid plans they, they didn't come to be uh in my case it was well I, I couldn't get a job basically in in those different fields um mm-hmm. and i was like oh no like and and what do i do now right that that was my plan a I, I didn't really have a very concrete plan plan b and you know honestly just through a bit of trial and error and having a friend go and attend one of these um information sessions or recruitment sessions for um for the management consulting firm bain and company that's how I found out about management consulting. And I thought like, oh, okay, well, I guess graduating soon, I better find a job um, because, uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, I couldn't pursue this career in international affairs, um, at least right away that, that, that I had hoped for a job at Bain and, uh, you know, amazingly was um, accepted into, I guess, a pretty um, competitive industry and field as, as well. Uh, and that's how I actually started working in, I guess, you know, business slash finance more broadly. Um, it, it really wasn't yeah, as you can see, it really wasn't part of my initial um, plan for my career. Uh, I actually knew so, 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 so little um, about business and finance. Looking back, it's quite funny. I, I, I don't think I'd even opened Excel until my first day at Bain. Oh um, so all, all of my university was, you know, writing nice essays and papers and, you know, doing research. So um, so it's very different, um, a bit of a shock to the system. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to say that it, it worked out well, right. And I think that's, that's where I started my career. Um, and I think obviously got inundated very quickly with the language of, of business and finance and 
Um, as, as I'm sure many people have said, I mean, consulting is a great learning opportunity and, um, you know, also meet very cool people. Um, and yeah, I'm, you know, even though it was definitely not my first choice, I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, that, that I did start my career there. Well, they obviously saw something in you and, and understandably, but the, the thing that strikes me is so many of these conversations I have with um, VCs or emerging VCs, uh, often they've, they've got some form of management consulting in the past, you know, experience wise. Do you, do you think there's a reason for that? Is oh, is there an observation you've made that that have you seen others in that, that you used to work with go more into venture or um, is it just me um, putting two and two together getting five? <laughs> no, I definitely think it. I mean, it could be a bit of a breeding ground for you know VCs or investment professionals. Um, I would say a few things, right? I think one is I think typically consulting does attract quite curious people, right? Um, so, you know, curious about different industries, curious about, you know, how business models work, um, curious about, I think, people as well. Um, so I think all of those things, uh, I think there's a lot of overlap um, in, you know, I think in, in VC or investment, right, where you're looking at new business models, new ideas, new sectors every day, right? So I think that, yeah, that curiosity, and I think also, I guess, ability to, you know, to pick things up quite quickly in, in, in many ways. Um, I think that there's some, yeah, there's, there's some there's some strong parallels there. So I can see how um, one might move between the, the two fields. I think the other thing that, that maybe people don't think about straight away when they think about management consulting is, I think one of the, the biggest things that I learned was, you know, understanding what makes people tick, right? And how to influence um, decisions, right? Uh, important business decisions in, in, in those cases. And I think that same, um, I guess, understanding of influence and relationships um, and motivation, like personal motivations, I think that is another kind of parallel or area, um, crossover area, I think, to, to VC and investment, where again, maybe people always think about, you know, business models and all of these types of things. But I actually think the, the much more personal and relational side of um, investments is, is so important as well. Very true. It's still a very people-based um, industry. Yeah, sure. it's it's the ultimate people people industry. So, what managed to tease you away from um, a well, a brilliant career opportunity? Yeah, so I, I mean, I as I said, I I really look back fondly at, at my time at Bain. Um, I think one of the the fantastic things that um, that consulting firms often offer is that um, you can go overseas, right, um, to to a different office to yeah to get to get experience there. And I think in my case, um, well, this is also a bit, a bit funny because um, so when I was selecting my my different um, options right for for, for transfer offers um, I think number one was I think number one was New York I think number two was London and number three was New Delhi um, oh. and I think whenever they're like wow whenever they see somebody kind of brave enough or crazy enough to to want to go to to India they're like okay immediately you get that right no matter whether it was your <laughs> first or second or third <laughs> preference because they're like well, you know great we've got a, a victim but I, I no I, again I think this was one thing that worked out really well because I mean India's probably not a place I mean I you know where where most say Australians would just pick up and go um, I think going to mm -hmm. London or New York is obviously much more there's probably too many Aussies there right um yeah. so so I think you know New Delhi was definitely different um and I think it also I mean why I put it there at all right was I as I said from young I kind of had this curiosity about emerging markets and um I have Asian heritage myself I'm Malaysian Chinese um by background so I think I was curious about kind of going different parts of Asia, right, I think, and, and experiencing mm -hmm. that. Um, so I think that's why New Delhi was there, and and, and I loved it. Um, I think spending that time in India, I think, gave me this 
kind of you know that, that that emerging markets buzz right which i'm sure mm. other people have have mentioned it's you know that dynamism that energy it does you know what well i love of course australia i mean it it, it you know it does seem like a very small and kind of remote place um c- compared to compared to being in india i think also though you, you definitely see the social challenges i think the environmental challenges you know very firsthand if you you know spent <laughs> a good amount of time in in india or or, or, or many parts of emerging Asia. And I think that was also, yeah, I think very good food for thought for me. And, you know, I think kind of was maybe the kind of nudge, right, for me to consider moving a little bit more how do I get back to this, um, my, my initial kind of, uh, I guess, dream, right, or passion mm. of working um, for, you know, in, in a career which kind of had impact front and center. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it was soon after my time in India with Bain that I actually left and joined a development consulting firm um, called Technoserve. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's funny, it does attract a lot of ex-management consultants and ex-investment bankers who are <laughs> maybe looking for meaning, more meaning in life, right? But um, that was also an opportunity in India. Um, and basically, it's applying our management consulting skills to, I guess, development problems, right? So I think in my case, I worked a lot um, on uh, challenges faced by smallholder farmers um, in, in India and in some of the poorest parts of India and what are different kind of business, business-oriented solutions, right, to, mm-hmm. um, to some of those challenges, I think. So the slogan of, of TechnoService, business solutions to poverty, right? And, and how do you engage with, I guess, both the private sector as well as government to, to craft those solutions? Um, so that was how I got a bit closer into the whole impact investing field and then and how I ultimately ended up there at all um, was that after, you know, after about what, five, six years, I'm um, doing kind of more consulting types mm-hmm. of activities. Um, I guess I really wanted a bit more skin in the game, right? Um, I think mm-hmm. consulting is, is great, but I think it's, it's a commonly, you know, I think acknowledged challenge that I think it is very project based. And, um, and yeah, unfortunately, I think you, even if you are involved a little bit in say the implementation or execution, you don't typically see things kind of all the way through, right? And, you know, it did seem to me that investment did provide a little bit more um, of a longer term perspective, right? The ability to see, you know, work over say five, seven years, right? With with a particular company um, and, and see how things go, right? Uh, and still have though that kind of breadth of experience across different sectors. And I think, you know, I mentioned curiosity before. Um, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, I, I, I do love, I think looking, yeah, at different sectors, different business models, different ideas. Um, so, so I thought, oh, you know, investment seemed interesting. I think to be honest at that time, I didn't really know what it meant to be an investor and, uh, and, you know, was, was just, you know, and basically, you know, found, found an opportunity in, in Vietnam, right. Um, to work for an impact investing firm called, um, LGT Venture Philanthropy. And I think that's where it all began. Um, that's more than Mm -hmm. 10 years ago now. Uh, I've been in Vietnam for, yeah, for that time, I think doing early stage impact investment over, yeah, over the past decade. And I think obviously seen so many amazing shifts and changes and developments in, in the landscape, I think both in Vietnam and then Southeast Asia more broadly. So venture philanthropy, uh, it, I guess it's, um, we, we haven't really actually covered too much in, in, uh, on investing in impact because most mm. of the majority of conversations tend to be with venture funds in impact. But could you touch right. on the differences between the work you do now compared to what the, the kind of mandate you would have at, at, at LGT? Like what kind of separates where's the distinction between philanthropic venture and and sort of capital just VC, standard VC? Yeah, I think 
no, it's, it's a great question. I'm glad you raised it because I think, you know, maybe at a first glance, impact investing can seem maybe a bit monolithic, right? It's like, oh, well, anything that kind of has some kind of financial approach, but then also has, you know, this this goal of, of, of creating an impact. I think one of the, the beautiful things about impact investing is that it's very diverse. I also admit that sometimes it can be quite confusing. Um, I think the way that I look at impact investing, and I mean, this is not something that I came up with. It's, it's a very, I mean, it's this acknowledged kind of framework, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's essentially that I guess you can look at different impact investing models, right, along a continuum. And the continuum, I guess, ranges from models which expecting, um, well, I think on the extreme side, and I think this is this is where maybe venture philanthropy fits in, is basically giving all your money away, right? So basically a minus 100% return. Um, I guess if you kind of look more in between, there's mm-hmm. maybe like a 0% return. So basically preserving your capital. And then, you know, I guess if you look continue along that spectrum a bit further, then you would have, I guess, financial return profiles, which, you know, one would say actually equivalent, right, to say a purely commercial risk-adjusted market rate of return, right? So, and that mm-hmm. tends to be a lot of, say, the impact VC strategies. There's actually nothing, I think that they're, they're all different approaches, right? I, I, yeah. I, I don't think there's any, like one is like better than the other, or it's, you know, like better to get like a much higher return necessarily, right? I think it all depends on what is your like what is your investment and your impact thesis and you know what kind of types of financial tools make the most sense to solve the particular social and environmental challenges that you've identified um and you know although i think this what we've just touched on is like a huge ongoing debate in, in the impact investing industry right about you know this trade-off between impact and returns and so forth but i think i, I don't yeah, for me, the answer really depends on like where you sit on that spectrum. And uh, and yes, in some cases, I think there are trade-offs between impact and financial returns. In others, there doesn't need to be necessarily. As for venture philanthropy, it, I think it sits a little bit off, off the spectrum, right? Because I think as, as the name suggests, with philanthropy, with philanthropy, we are looking at, I guess, philanthropy, right? Donations. I mean, giving giving the money away. I guess the venture philanthropy aspect comes from, I guess, a much more, you know, I guess, rigorous and thoughtful approach for measuring the effectiveness of that donation or grant making activity, which I think borrows a lot from the impact investing world, right? So I think that's maybe the distinction that I would make. Yeah. And it's easy to kind of, I guess, get a little bit on on a high horse around what's best or or, or not, but it's such a broad spectrum of challenges that we have and where your investment money comes from. So I think I don't know many people that I can go to and say, give me, uh, you know, a million dollars and I'm going to spend it and provide you zero uh, return, but you're going to make lives better. I just Mm. don't have that network. Whereas I think, you know, if you can create impact and also provide a financial return then then for a lot of people that's kind of a great great way to kind of have impact and feel good about a financial proceeds but it's like like you said at the, at the top of the, of, of the chat it's like it, it, it requires a bit of everything I, I wonder if that your public kind of experience that that mindset you went out wanting to to kind of join the UN and those Mm -hmm. you know short period of internships has given you any perspective on the correlation between venture philanthropy and and impact investing like have you flitted with the idea of both since LGT or have you found that do you think the private market investing is overall more effective I just wondered if if you Mm. sort of made further observations given your sort of passion for the public sector side which 
which I think at times is, you know, we look to for regulation and we look to yeah. for, you know, big policies, but but often feel sometimes a bit like isn't really moving as quickly as we'd like. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I would say the, the I think how I ended up working in impact investing and I guess why I've been doing it for so long, I think it's, it's probably more a, a personal thing or a, I would say like a founder market fit type of question. Um, I actually, I actually do think that, you know, regulation, public policy um, are, are so critical in in driving some of these systemic shifts, right? And um, well, as you know, right now, I, I focus on gender equality, right? I think I'm also mm-hmm. realistic about what can be achieved in, in the field of gender equality by a you know, relatively small private <laughs> markets investment fund. Um, yeah. I actually think there's tremendous things that, that could be done on, um, yeah, I think more of the public policy kind of, yeah, legislative type, type, type of level, right? Um, so I, I, I think what I realized though is, uh, you know, I think for me personally, I think I, I really enjoy, um, I think more entrepreneurial ventures, right? Um, so I think yeah. despite the, the background that I had, um, I think looking at things like, like you know, public policy, um, I was like, oh, I, I, and especially after I think working at, at Bain and in different places, I, I think um, I have a maybe a low, low appetite for kind of, you know, bureaucracy and patience. <laughs> I, I don't know. And that's actually more, more my issue. I actually have a tremendous, tremendous amount of respect, I think, for, yeah, um, yeah my friends and um, yeah, peers, I think working in, I think more the, yeah, in, in the, the sphere of the, the, the public good. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard work, right? I think that, you know, but, but I think it can actually have in some ways, yeah, just such far reaching impact. And I think, of course, you know, like you say, I think we all wish it was moving faster, right? Whether it's in yeah. terms of legislating around climate, um, carbon emission, all kinds of things, right? All gender, right? Um, but uh, I think, yeah, it's, it, but, but it's actually not out of any, um, I, I guess, lack of appreciation, I think, for, for, for the, for the, the immense scale of impact, right? That some, you know, uh, a seemingly simple legal change can can have. So your experience as LGT um, ultimately, mm. you think, kind of gave you the the background to be able to move into sort of what you're doing now. And and what was the next step for you? Like, uh, how did you transition? Very glad to have been at LGT. I think to get that kind of first foray into, I guess, you know, venture philanthropy. I think, um, and also kind of impact investing, perhaps more on the, you know, I think very early stage, very catalytic um, side of the spectrum. I think what I was curious about then, and I mean, I guess there was just, <laughs> it's hard to think about, you know, like eight, 10 years ago, there were just even very few venture funds full stop, right? Or private equity funds. Yeah. But I was curious about LGT Venture Philanthropy. It's, I would say it's a little bit more akin to a foundation or a family office, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily a, a fund per se, right? And I was curious about, I guess, what it took to like to, to, to kind of run an investment fund, right? All the way from, um, I think at the beginning, I think, and I definitely fell into this bucket. I think when people start first working in investments, they're like, wow, investments is about just finding a couple of good deals and investing in them, right? And then that's that, right? But of course, once you get deeper into the industry, you realize that actually, wow, there's a lot, I mean, it's about raising money, right? It's about, um, you know, crafting different investment theses, which solve different um, challenges. And I think, of course, yes, finding finding deals and investing in them, right? Um, supporting them across the life cycle of those investments. But, um, but I think it was getting that more holistic idea of like, what does it really take to set up and run an investment fund, right? Really craft a thesis and um, and take it into it. I think that kind of entrepreneurial journey I was very curious about. And that's what led me to joining um, Padma, gosh, I guess about eight, yeah, eight years ago now. Yeah. And like, that's pretty early. I, I'm not sure how many uh, gender lens and um, or impact VCs were kind of, were kind of set up at that time. I mean, even in, when I think about you know, being in Singapore, that we've got some fairly recognizable funds now, but eight years ago was pretty early. 
Definitely it was very early, right? I think I always you know, say that you can count or you at that time you could count the number of venture firms on one hand who were active in yeah. Vietnam, right? And, uh, you know, impact or no impact or, or, or whatever, right? Just anyone doing venture investing. Um, so it was very early and um, I'm really glad that I met the founders of, of Padma Capital. Um, I think it, it was interesting because, I mean, they had deep experience in venture investing um, in the US and were curious on, you know, how can they apply? that experience, those skills um, to investing for impact, you know, in it with using kind of a VC framework, right, in Southeast Asia, um, yeah. and specifically backing companies that were really transforming the lives of um, the mass market, right, so the low and lower middle income, you know, populations, right, who, who really make up the, the vast majority of, you know, Vietnam, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Uh, yeah, I think backing, I mean, na- nowadays, I think everyone um, can see, sees how this could be an investment thesis, right. But again, if we rewind eight years ago, people were like, what, you're, you know, you're investing in companies which are working with factory workers, why would you do that, right? Do they have any, yeah. you know, purchasing power? Or do they, you know, could they even use a app or, or whatever, right. Um, but I think now I think everyone is uh, talking about investing in um, Asia's kind of mass market, right, or emerging middle yeah. class. Um, it all so, seems so obvious. Think, <laughs> it all seems <laughs> yeah. very obvious. But I think we were doing it maybe before it was so, so so cool and so yeah uh, so, so do you have any insight into how how Patama was able to like uh, i guess the big one is with your your investor community your, mm. your your you know lps like giving them the 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 reassurance is it because Pat, the, the the team had had obviously deployed capital successfully based from the us etc that, that mm. they, and they felt that vietnam if you look at how vietnam has been growing and and you know it's it's phenomenal story actually of um yeah poverty reduction etc through yeah. yeah quite capitalistic kind of approaches but like right. um do, do you think is there some stories inside that like in terms of how they were able to 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 get something sort of across the line when it was quite early because i think there's so many emerging managers really trying to push the boundaries or at least you know secure fund one for something which today seems like a little bit out there a bit crazy but five or ten years time it was going to seem really obvious as well yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, another really interesting question. Um, well, I think I have to unfortunately say that it wasn't that easy um, to, to raise the first fund. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, rest assured definitely to all those um, people out there, right, who are raising the first fund. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's true. It's, 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 it's never really easy, right, convincing people of this vision um, that you have, right, or a new investment thesis or opportunity that you see. Um, it, it was hard. I think we faced, I mean, we faced a lot of questions, right, around like why Southeast Asia? You know, I think a lot of our investors do come from, we have some investors from within the region, um, but actually a lot mm-hmm. of our investors do come from outside of Southeast Asia. And I think persuading them, like why Southeast Asia, right, despite I think some of the really exciting things that you mentioned in terms of the large young populations, all the positive demographic shifts that we see, right? Um, I yeah. think also the commitment towards poverty reduction and, you know, and, and I think technology adoption. I think there's a lot of exciting things. I, I won't repeat them because I think <laughs> I'm sure, you know, VCs and Southeast Asia talk about it all the time, right? But yeah, I think telling that story was one. And I have to say it wasn't, it, it was still kind of quite new and out there, right, for many people. I think the other question was, you know, really around like, oh, you know, what is this kind of impact investing, right? And are there such companies out there which are really trying to, you know, work with these types of communities, right, and demographics towards the the lower income, you know, end of the income spectrum, yeah. right? Um, but then also highly scalable and like what would the exits be for these companies, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, yeah, and I think to, to answer the question, I think ultimately I think it, it, it really does come down to, you know, I think people took a bet, right, on, on, on this on this team and that 
you know, that, that we had the, uh, the the expertise to pull it off in, in, in Southeast Asia. I think one thing that we have always believed in is having local teams who are like deeply embedded in each market, right? And I think, um, you know, rather than being based in Singapore, although <laughs> nothing against yeah. Singapore, I think it's only about, you know, wanting to be close to the action, right, of, of our investments. Um, I think, yeah, and I think the second thing that I would say is I think like many other investors, I mean, first-time fund managers have had to do, I mean, had to basically build a proof of concept portfolio, right? And I guess in some ways, essentially kind of like warehouse or... Mm-hmm you know, do some deals, initial deals, right, just to make it a bit more real, right? Because I think it's nice to present people a pipeline slide. It's quite different to say like, oh, you know, here's here's some five investments that we've made, right, which really fit with our thesis. Yeah. And you can see like, you know, and look at how well they're doing, right? So I think so. So showing that conviction. So so yeah. when you say warehousing deals, just basically making some making um, some investments, be it even small ticket um, through either syndication or, or your own capital. Mm. And then, right, right. you know, like offering... Uh, instead of like, look at this, this is stuff that we're interested in putting a p- participation in. Well, here's five yeah. things we've actually deployed into. This is how they're tracking. And um, this is why you might want to be part of this journey. Uh, it, it, I mean, that's quite a different proposition, isn't it? In terms of <laughs> you're seeing different. something real. And I, I often think with funds, they are the kind of it's not the thing to be talking about. It's actually the underlying investments. That's the thing that gets um, investors excited. Um, exactly. It's, it's like yeah. being part of something that, you know, of a, a really great company that, that, that's that got a growth story and is doing good. So, so that was sure. the model. <laughs> That was the model. Um, you can definitely, I mean, to that, you can really see the light bulbs go on, right? You can talk about your investment thesis all day long. But then I think when you say like, hey, let me tell you about one of our portfolio companies, right? And then just, and the people, you can see like, <gasps> like, wow, okay, we get it, right? We see the, the different pieces of the puzzle coming together. So yeah, I think it, it's actually one of the most powerful things in, in making a fund more real. And, and have you seen expectation change in terms of the impact metrics or things that you're having to report back beyond just sort of, this is how the fund's doing. And these this, this is an update from like our portfolio and, and you know, good news, we've got growth and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Are you seeing more sophistication in terms of the expectation around the the kind of data that you provide because because Patamar is really about you know unlocking mm. economic opportunities for for low income um, right. people so like you're very uh, it's a socially focused fund rather than environmental would you say yeah. like in yeah terms I think that's of, fair yeah and and so are you seeing changes in the investor base their expectation beyond just sort of capital returns or is it uh, are they just kind of happy and, <laughs> and, and fairly uh, easy to deal with yeah i mean i i would say like absolutely i think um i think impact you know measurement management um i think it's also evolved positively um leaps and bounds right since when we first started doing this um and i think it's always a it's always a very hot topic right when it comes to impact investment because you know especially these days i think a lot of people would love to say like hey we're an impact fund or we're an esg focused fund but then yeah. you know how do you measure it how do you actually add a lot of rigor right and also you know prevent things like impact washing right i think these are pretty serious i think challenges that the industry needs to confront head on um i'm glad to say that i think i think we're running very fast but i think it, 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 we are trying to keep pace, right, with, with mm-hmm. some of these risks and concerns. Um, I think impact measurement, I mean, there's always this question of, um, like, you know, standardization, right, and like, there's so many different frameworks. And like, you know, there's, you know, what, 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 are, what exactly am I meant to be measuring? Um, I think so for us, we have really embraced um, the Global Impact Investing Network's um, IRIS Plus, yeah, I guess, set of metrics and framework for measuring impact. Um, I think it is, I think, emerging as, as the global kind of best practice for, for impact investors. Um, 
And, you know, I think that so, so now there is a bit more, or I think not a bit, like a lot more comparability, I would say, right? So if you're mm. investing in a different, say, education, we're investing in an education business, right? It could be much more easily compared to, say, somebody else investing in an education business. Um, so not just things such as, you know, the number of students that were reached, right? But yeah, um, also yeah. more deeper or yeah, deeper kind of aspects such as what was the demographic of those students, right? Was it actually reaching, say, lower income students? Um, was it actually reaching more, say, female students or girls? Was it reaching, yeah, people who have had other kinds of, um, I guess, disadvantaged access to education in the past, right? Um, I think also looking at things like educational outcomes, educational quality, right? So I, I think it is becoming, I think, a lot richer. Uh, I think, you know, no longer, I think, do impact investors. And I don't think we've ever really wanted to, right? I think it's just the, the whole system has evolved, right? I mean, I think, but in the past, yeah, you might see simple things like, oh, you know, we created this many jobs, right? Or we had mm -hmm. like this many, you know, microfinance borrowers or whatever. It's just, just these very kind of high level metrics. I think, of course, those metrics are important. I think now there are actually tools, frameworks to dive deeper, right? To really understand, um, particularly, I think, as you compare, look at specific sectors, right? Like education, agriculture, healthcare. Um, I think once you get more specific about different sectors, I think there is a much richer data set or suggested data set of metrics, right? That you can draw on to, to measure the impact of those investments. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very exciting. Uh, again, I think one of the challenges of impact is that like, again, super diverse, right? I mean, very hard to compare fund focused on, say, education in India versus, you know, a global um, fund focused on, say, greenhouse gas emission. Um, yeah. right? For, and, but again, I think it's, 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 that is always, I think, going to be a little bit tricky. But um, I think at least within different sectors, right, um, I think it is becoming a lot more comparable. I think there is a much higher demand, right, for, for transparency. Um, and that's kind of part of the fun of it, though, in a way. Because yeah. you can now deploy capital into things that you're super passionate about at quite a niche level. Like if, yeah. if you're and also that you have domain understanding and expertise in like if you, you've made your money from specific industry yeah. and you're seeing that, that that industry has an opportunity to address some inequality or to address, you know, yeah. some some environmental challenges, then you, you can actually play quite a I think quite an important role potentially as, a, as an advisor and investor into uh, private capital you know, vehicle that, that that is making meaningful change as well as deploying a return. So it's, I think this is a kind of slightly hidden world to the average uh, sort of investor, I guess, who, who you know, I, I was just going through an airport mm. I had because of uh, going to Hack Summit, a great, great event in um, Lausanne, um, mm. which amazing food tech and impact investors there and, and some incredible solutions being shown. And I read a sign and it was like, invest in your values or something along those lines. It was an ESG uh, fund I, i'd never heard of it but right I, I i looked at it and i was like well how can i really invest in my values through sort of uh, like investing into very large companies that that are going through maybe this is just me but like csr and esg kind of filter because yeah. i i can't really i i really struggle actually with the there's some fantastic great you know big companies with which are purposely purposeful yeah. and, and and are are driving in the right directions but in in most cases i think the, that whole industry is sort of having to kind of come to sustainability and impact from, um, you know, as a, as a game changer or as a, as, a, as a way to appeal to capital markets, whereas mm -hmm. private equity is able to deploy into quite early stage things. And, and the question is, what do you really, you know, where do you want your money to go? And and and, and so I guess for people investing in, in Passamar to get, you know, onto it is mm -hmm. you, you, you were able to secure those people, you know, those investors early on who believed in the team, who believed in the underlying investments and you're you've really been doing i think 
pretty well as a as a beacon, and, and we should come on to beacon yeah. um, for for the, for this model. Um, I mean, since for the last seven eight years or however long it's been, like you're you're just watching this emerging impact space, I'd, I'd imagine, and and seeing more and more people joining um, AVPN and the other associations, right. etc. How how do you see the changes? Like, what have you witnessed in, over that time frame? Yeah, I think. Um... You know, definitely, I think more entrance, as you mentioned, I think, I mean, AVPN has done such a great job of bringing the community together. It's, it's a huge, I mean, network now. And um, I think I remember the very, very first AVPN conference, which I think was held in like a university lecture hall, right? And now it's this, you know, thousand, I think, plus person event um, yeah. in, in, in a huge, huge convention center. So I think very, very different feel. I think great to have all of these new entrance. I mean, and again, I think maybe just to be clear, I think we don't see it as like, oh my goodness, there's so much more competition now or something like that, right? Because I think frankly, you know, all investments, right? <laughs> I mean, should be thought of, you know, with with kind of the impact in mind, right? So, so I think it's definitely not some exclusive club, right? Where we sh- should be putting up very high barriers to entry to be part of. I think so. So yeah, definitely more entrance, but I think the even more exciting thing, I think is a lot more, you know, I think sophisticated and diverse kind of specific investment theses, right? So mm-hmm. I think now, again, it's all like, oh, yep, we're doing impact investing, right? But then, you know, really cool funds to focus um, on very specific issues, right? With with that, bringing that kind of sector expertise that you mentioned, right? So it could be around, yeah, it could be around food tech, it could be around climate, it could be around ag or education or, you know, gender equality, right? Um, so I think, yeah, specific strategies and people kind of going much deeper, um, to to solve some of these really pressing challenges i think that's yeah that that's very exciting um and i think those that's just a huge 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 shift right that we've seen i think honestly that there still probably could be a lot more um in terms of impact capital um in in, in the region um but you know i think sure if if we look at progress um i think it's hard to deny there hasn't been you know that there's been very significant um movement so you touched on gender lens investing there i I think you we we had a chat a long time ago uh, around that and i was you know very kind of almost new to the to, to the to the term really but could you um, tell us a bit about what you're doing with Beacon Fund? And you, you know, your tagline is an investment firm that works for women, and so that kind of indicates that current investment firms aren't really working for women. What do you see as the real issue here? We know we, well, many of us have seen the statistics, uh, the shocking statistics, really. That I think it's around three percent of women-only funds getting, um, uh, sorry, ventures getting funded, and uh, quite a big, you know, male-dominated venture industry. So, what were the observations? How did Beacon Fund become? Um, something and uh, and how how have you started to create a proposition that you think will attract more talented women into uh, into venture and or, or fund you know really really great um, ventures mm. that led by women yeah I mean it's uh, you know it's, it's probably a longer story but I can certainly tell the the the, 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 um, the brief version yeah I think at Panama right I mean we've you know, we've always been interested in kind of leveling all kinds of playing fields right and I think definitely from a kind of that, that kind of more economic perspective, right, of, you know, okay, wow, some, you know, uh, one of my business partners always used to say, I mean, you know, low-income consumers, they always get the worst products at the worst prices with the worst service, right? So I think, uh, yeah. you know, that was one aspect for, of, I guess, leveling the playing field, right, that, that has been really part of our DNA since the beginning. Um, I think it's hard not to see, right, as an impact investor or as an investor, um, that another huge, 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 you know, playing field that does need to be leveled, right, is that of, you know, women-owned, women-led businesses, right, seeking financing. Um, and I think so. Yes, we we also saw, um, you know, we, we also, well, in fact, not just saw, I think we were very, we were like we were living, right, that that statistic that, that you had mentioned, right, of, of, you know, less than 3% of um, funding going to female-led um, companies. And definitely it got us, you know, 
it got us thinking, right? Why is that? I think it's, there's definitely not a simple answer. I think it's a very complex and multifaceted issue. But one of the things that we you know, noticed, I think also through develop, uh, through, through deploying a fund dedicated to female um, entrepreneurs before Beacon called the Investing in Women Fund. I think one of the things that we noticed was that, hey, actually, you know, companies come in lots of different shapes and sizes. And I think because we were, you know, we, we are, I mean, at, at the Padamas other funds, I think venture investors, um, you know, we always tried to think of them as, you know, put them into that tech startup kind of box right and see like hey yeah. will venture fund like funding be the right fit for them and like you know what's your plan right to scale you know like 10x right what's your plan to exit etc cetera, etc cetera, right so this was the kind of language that we talked you know can you demonstrate enough traction to raise your series b etc cetera, etc cetera, right so that was that was the that was the conversation that, that we were used to having and i think at one point i mean we we stepped back and we're like hmm like actually a lot of these you know, we are meeting actually quite a lot of women-led businesses um, through, you know, through our different kind of networks and discussions, but actually a good chunk of them, right, um, don't actually fit this VC model very well, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it is a little bit of a generalization that I'm going <laughs> to boldly venture into here, right? But, but I think oftentimes, um, you know, I think we do see that some women founders, and I would actually put myself into this bucket, right? Uh, maybe a little more, let's call it, um, I, some people say conservative, right? I'm not sure that I always like that word, right? But uh, Or one could also say realistic, right? In, in their yeah. <laughs> plans, right? Or expectations. Um, and actually feel a lot more comfortable, I think, growing you know, maybe through organic, organic growth, right, or bootstrapping, essentially, rather than this kind of idea of like raising a lot of VC funding, right. And, um, and kind of like, you know, blitz scaling it and, you know, like go big or go home type of mentality. Right. Um, (laughs) So, uh, and again, I I think that they're they're different models, right. But we certainly didn't think people should be penalized for, you know, wanting to take a, you know, so-called like, let me call it a conservative slash realistic approach, right. For for, for their businesses and, um, and maybe growing in a more sustainable way and I think we saw that again I think there's both men and women who embrace different types of models right I think there's definitely like male entrepreneurs who we also found who are much more comfortable with a maybe more moderate growth or sustainable growth approach right um but you know certainly I, I think we, we we did see a bit of a gender theme here right and it, it, it certainly got us curious because we're like well actually we love that type of business right isn't it great that they've managed to bootstrap they've grown organically um done really amazing things right without actually having raised much capital. In fact, it's incredibly capital efficient, right? And that's something we should be rewarding and celebrating. So that's what, I mean, brought us to Beacon. Um, So Beacon, it's it's quite interesting. It's actually not a venture capital fund. Let me, I'll I'll just say it out very clearly, right? It's actually not a venture capital fund, but it's a private debt fund. Um, Because, you know, we realized, I think, you know, as I was just saying, right, that actually some businesses don't fit that venture capital model. They may not be very focused, say, on raising a lot of successive rounds, I think ultimately getting to an exit. And if they've grown kind of more organically, um, typically they are generating profits and, um, and, and are cash flow positive, right? So they've, grown, yeah, they've, they've really self-financed. Um, so as a result, um, you know, debt or debt-like instruments can actually be a better fit for these types of companies. And that's kind of what led us to doing a private debt vehicle, which is... I would have to say, like quite strange or new, right? In in, in Southeast Asia, most people are focused yeah. on VC and private equity models. But we thought again, like, well, what is the you know what is the challenge we're trying to solve, right? What is that financing gap in the market? Um, and again, there's I think there's definitely nothing wrong with say you know a uh, impact firm going and doing VC, right? Or backing female founders using VC. I think all we wanted to do was provide 
entrepreneurs with another option, right? If the VC yeah. path didn't suit them. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, what we saw was that option just wasn't in the market at, at, at this point in time, right? So I think, okay, it's always good to give people options that they need. Um, so Totally, because the VC yeah. model is very... Um, like it's specific, kind of, like you right? said, go, yeah, go big, specific. go home. Yeah. It's like you have to have insane growth. I think sometimes people don't really appreciate how how kind of niche that is. It's it's not even one percent. I think of of overall funding right. for SMEs, right? So mm. there's a lot of PR. There's a lot of hype. Obviously, we love to talk about unicorns and big valuations yep. and stuff. But actually, if you're a founder owning your own business, owning a hundred percent of it right. is kind of cool. Having control of it, not having a board, like um, necessarily. Um, killing you over yes. you know growing in sustainable fashion right um it's kind of different so so that's interesting how how did you kind of go about getting that financed and mm. like what's the response been and 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 can you just sort of explain how debt finance works for you know the uninitiated i think um yeah so i think the first question on like you know how, how do we like how do we get that started off the ground right um yeah i think we're, we're fortunate i mean so beacon is you know, we're, we're basically on the Panama platform. Um, so we're a sister fund to the other Panama funds. So I think we, we had that pre-existing, I guess, history track record, right. Of, um, you know, of what we've been doing in impact investing, um, in Southeast Asia for more than 10 years, right. To draw on, thankfully, right. And also a great, (laughs) great, um, you know, great network as well of potential investors. So, um, so I think that, that definitely helped. Um, I, I think also it came at an interesting time, right. I mean, the story is so, different right people are like wow private debt fund i've never in southeast asia focused on women like there's it's you know some people say like oh you shouldn't do things that are so like new right there's so many things for people to wrap their head around but i think once people you know heard about the thesis right i think and even better as we were discussing before saw some examples of the companies that we were actually investing in they're like oh yeah okay this this really makes sense right because everyone knows these types of businesses right we often shop from these types of businesses ourselves right we mm-hmm. could you know be sending our kids right to these types of you know education set whatever right i think everyone knows these businesses in the commu- like in their own communities and so i think there is that resonance or like oh yeah there there are actually some companies out there who who, who don't look like that typical VC model, right, but are, are actually adding a lot of value, right, to people's lives and the communities that they operate in. I think that's on one side. Um, on the second side, okay, uh, the second question, which is like, please explain debt financing, right, because it, it is quite a new concept, right? And actually, in some, and I would say there is sometimes a bit of a, maybe a bit of an icky feeling, let me call it, right, or a stigma around like debt, it maybe it sounds mm-hmm. bad or scary, right, or um, to, to some entrepreneurs. I think I would... F- simplify it. Yeah, I would simplify it as um, the following, right? I mean, actually, people don't talk about this because I guess there doesn't seem to be many options, but actually equity is typically the most expensive form of financing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know maybe in the last three, four years, people have been like, wow, equity is basically free, right? People are throwing money around, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, no, I mean, if you look at it from, I guess, the I guess traditional kind of finance perspective, right? Equity is actually the most um, expensive form of financing and debt is, well, yeah, definitely not free either, right? But on the cheaper cheaper side. So I think to me, I think it's not that debt or equity is again like bad or good, right? Or one's better than the other. I think there's typically for each business, there's a 
yeah, you would need a mix of both to, to kind of scale your business, right? And I think sometimes people forget, like even the biggest companies, biggest tech companies such as like Apple actually use a lot of debt, right, to grow their business. Um, it's not just, um, you know, not, not just equity. So essentially, I think debt is great if you, um, you know, do have some kind of history of making positive cash flows, right, some profits, right? So actually, it, it often doesn't fit startups very well, right? It typically fits more kind of, yeah, SMEs, that type of more, bit more established business um, who has mm-hmm. been in business for some time and has been kind of growing on a bit more of a steady growth path. Um, so yeah, yep. debt works well if you've got, you know, if you do have cash flows, right, you can obviously like service the debt, right? I think obviously you, you shouldn't, I definitely don't recommend taking on debt that, 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 that the business would really struggle to repay. But I think the benefit is, you know, if, if you do want to retain that kind of control of your business, as you said, right, um, if you don't want you don't necessarily have a plan to exit your business within a certain time frame, And, you know, I think you're not prepared or kind of uncomfortable, right, with that constant pressure for kind of like growth, 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 right, which I have to say does, you know, is a reality, right, of, of playing that kind of VC or private equity game. Then I think debt can be an interesting option where there's, you know, you collaborate with an investor for a set period, let's call it, say, three years. And, you know, at the end of that three years, you can kind of walk away happily. You know, you've taken that debt, you've paid it back, right? You've used it to grow the business, right? And generate kind of returns for you as the owner, but you can walk away happily in three years, right? I think VC and PE, um, I think as most people would know or realize, right? I think the ultimate um, end game, I think for investors is getting an exit, right? So they need to be, so I mean, essentially the company needs to be sold or have an IPO or have some kind of way for the investors to get their money out in often quite a short period of time, right? Maybe three, five, seven years, depending on exactly how it all goes. And, and, and that, I think that is kind of the, the kind of hidden cost, right, of um, equity financing, which maybe, you know, people sometimes don't think about until they're kind of partway down that journey. Exactly. So so basically, they retain control of the company, they they take it out like a loan, essentially, to deploy into growth strategies to, to mm-hmm. grow the, the valuation of the business. And they, they should be converting that loan into a higher valuation for themselves and their shareholders. Right. And thus, like, it could be quite actually a very good form of capital for, yeah. as you as you pointed out, companies that have already reached that profitability and and you know are kind of more established and 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 not just borrowing money essentially to try to get to break even. I guess you you're having the kind of slightly different uh, assessment on, on on the debt that you're providing or the type uh, or, or the way that you look at the companies because you're looking more at the fundamentals yes, of that yeah. business presumably rather than I guess some of the the approaches that we see in VC which are really all about top line value creation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think. It's- it's, that's exactly right. I mean, it's quite a different approach. I think, um, yes, I mean, we do, unfortunately, for better or for worse, we do look at the financials, right, with a fine-tooth coat, right, <laughs> really looking at the um, ability to, you know, to, to, to repay that debt. I think that that is important. And again, I think we don't like to cause, you know, headaches for companies and, and or try and push them to take debt that doesn't make sense for them to to, to repay, right, comfortably, um, given their investment plans. But um, yeah, it's... I. It's definitely, I think, one of the interesting learnings that we've had, right? How do we share, um, you know, how do we share with the market, right, um, this concept of debt when I think maybe the only type of debt they might have heard of is getting a loan from a bank, for example. And I think obviously what we're trying to bring is a very different experience from getting a loan from a bank. Um, It certainly is. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, that's that, that's that's been interesting because it's just it's just so new to the market. Um, I, I think that's we, we didn't realize. I think necessarily how I much was going to say congratulations <laughs> to on, wrap on like, around. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say it's like well done for innovating, uh, like seeing an opportunity and innovating because I think there is. I think it's time to challenge VC in in some some areas. Really, this kind of model of invest in twenty companies and 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 go from fund one to like fund five and get bigger, mm. bigger, bigger, and it's all about AUM. And and now we're going to see lots of companies or lots of VC funds just sitting on their hands a little bit with all this capital to deploy mm-hmm. already invested in companies which are really struggling because of maybe some of the economic um, downturn or right. macroeconomic challenges. So it's pretty cool to see uh, see see the amount of innovation coming out from from your team and 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 also it's been really nice to kind of share and uh, understand your story, understand your journey. I'm excited to learn um, once you're a bit further down the track, you know, how this model kind of evolves and like the learnings from it so i'd love to get you back at some point on 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 the show but i could talk too much on this subject so i think we'll have to naturally conclude now but thank you sheehan for taking us through that journey i hope you found the chat um fun and i really look forward to keeping in touch and and seeing where this goes for you uh, definitely i mean thanks thanks for giving us this opportunity and um yeah would, would love to continue the conversation in, in different forums and channels <laughs>